Welcome to the American Valor Podcast, a section of the Active Valor Award Foundation. This foundation is the unique intersection of Major League Baseball and the United States Navy and Marine Corps, representing the 37 Baseball Hall of Famers who served in World War II, led by Chief Petty Officer Bob Feller. The foundation's mission is to educate the younger generation about the honor, courage, and commitment of the greatest generation. Our goal is to help our country become a little stronger. My name is Nathaniel Cameron from Ohio University. My name is Tyler Buckholtz from James Madison University. And my name is Colin Kirk, also from James Madison University. We're interns for the Active Valor Award Foundation, recognizing and honoring those Americans who support our servicemen and women by means of the Bob Feller story to educate the youth of today on the lessons of citizenship, service to one's country, and sacrifice in times of great national need. Welcome to the second episode of the American Valor podcast, where our goal is to tell the story of American Valor no matter when or where it has happened. We'll bring timeless, true stories of Valor to life through conversations with individuals who have acted with courage. We will search for stories of American Valor and bring these stories to you, stories you want to hear. We are excited for our second conversation of the American Valor podcast. Today, we have the privilege to be joined by another mentor of ours, retired Command Sergeant Major Steve Curtis. Steve enlisted in the United States Army in 1974 as infantrymen, retiring with over 30 years of service. He was deployed to Grenada to rescue American students in 1983 and also deployed to Sinani Peninsula, Bosnia, and did two tours in Iraq. He is now a board of director and education committee chairman of the Bob Feller Active Valor War Foundation. Steve, thank you for being with us. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, it's a privilege for me to uh, to be here today. Uh, first of all, I really thank you for the opportunity. Plus, you know, being in the, in the military was always a lifelong, even at the age of probably nine, I wanted to be an infantry paratrooper. And I actually realized that when I was... Uh, 21 years old, I believe, or maybe 20, I enlisted in the Army and and stayed on until I just retired in 2013. But it's uh, to serve my country and to uh, uphold the ideals of the uh, military was a lifelong dream of of mine. And uh, I'm very proud to be able to have uh, had the opportunity to uh, serve my country. So you mentioned that it was always a, a lifelong dream, but what kind of sparked your interest? Do you remember that there was a, you know, a certain point in your life, or did you have family that also served in the military? What, what kind of led you to joining the military? Yeah, exactly. Uh, my father really had the most influence. He was a World War II veteran. He was actually in the Army Air Corps and served uh, 50 combat missions on a B-25 as a tail gunner. And he used to tell me different things, uh, but like the like uh, that generation, it wasn't something they really bragged about or talked about. I'd have to pretty much uh, asking questions for him to talk about it. But at the same time, I was very interested at a young age of of his career, and I loved aviation in general. So uh, uh, that's really what sparked uh, my interest in the military. For, for those of us who have not served, 
Um, what was it like to, to serve the country on the front lines? Well, you know, uh, the old saying that, uh, you know, you're going to perform how you are trained. Uh, we get the best training you can imagine. And, and it's not always easy, uh, you know, going through the military training because that's really what's going to make you tough. So, you know, you, you do what you, you really just do what you have to do and drive on. In fact, most in surely myself, I'll, I'll actually say that, as the old saying goes, put me in coach. That's how I felt. If it was a, if it was a, a conflict or anything, I actually wanted to serve. It's just like, you know, when there's a baseball game going on and if you're a player, you're going to want to be part of it. So that's really um, how I felt and that I probably thinking speaking for 95 percent of those who served it really they just want to do the do their job and you are so well trained it's really just second nature to you because they they instill that in you the values of uh doing a job and and uh, sticking to each with each other and having each other's back it's all what it's all about you mentioned sticking together and and having each other's back what was your relationship with comrades like? You you uh, form relationships that it's going to be a lifelong friendship. Uh, I still stay in contact with many that I served with, and uh, you know you, you're with each other sometimes more than you are with your own family. So you, it's really a family uh, within its own. And in order to uh, survive on the battlefield, you have to have each other's back and. And without that, you, you're not going to succeed. You have to uh, work together, and uh, they're actually uh, brother, brothers and sisters. You, f you feel them like family, and that's without that, you're you're not going to succeed on the battlefield. Uh, so you mentioned, you know, kind of a, a family feeling. How does it affect your family back here? What what was that like? Um, in terms of, you know, trying to stay in touch with your loved ones and the dynamic that that kind of played while you were overseas? Well, it uh, it got better. I mean, I was, uh, I'll just take, use uh, Iraq as an example. Uh, we were one of the first ones deployed over there in 2003 and and things were pretty pretty much like the Wild Wild West, actually, for the first few, few months. So it, it, the communication wasn't, that well with with the family at that point uh, we used uh, satellite phones to communicate but you know being in a combat zone there's only so many things you could talk about you really couldn't talk about where you were or what you was doing so it was uh, it was pretty hard but you know as when I was deployed again in 2008 to Iraq things were a lot better because they improved greatly but when we went over there 2003, there was no air conditions or anything until about July, and the heat was just enormous. So, uh, but you know, I, I, yeah, I think back on that, and I wouldn't want anything different because that's really what I expected. And, and uh, you know, sometimes you know, going through something uh, that's not easy, it means a lot more to you. And, uh, and I'll, I'll have to say, my first deployment to Iraq is more meaningful to me just because it was rough times and uh, with the heat and 
dealing with just the everyday flying conditions because at the time uh, when I was in the 82nd I was a, a infantry paratrooper and then I went to aviation so I was actually a flight medic uh, on board a, a, a medevac Black Hawk helicopter so we used to in some pretty hairy places to pick up patients but like I said uh, you know you perform as a crew and and you do what you need to do and 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 uh and you just uh, go about what you're trained to do. But getting back to your question, is that the family is really they're the, they're the heroes because they really have to. Like my wife, while I was gone, had to pretty much do everything. I mean, I live in the northeast, so she had to do the we burn wood. She had to make sure that that was done. And I had a young family, and she had to go to all the sporting events that they have and. Uh, and uh, they really, and I was actually gone a year. So, so and not, at the time, we did not know when we was going to be back. So it's very hard for the family. And I know one of your questions here is what could we do? And I think that's most important when uh, soldiers, Marines and sailors, uh, uh, anybody in the military, when they're deployed, that if their family's taken care of, that means so much. And... Uh, they can go about their business without any distractions because they know that the family is taken care of. That's the most important thing that they want to know that back home that that is uh, is what's going on. But you know, I can say that I am so thankful of uh, of my uh, friends and family of how much they uplifted my my family while I was gone. And I think as I think any. Uh, Anybody in the military would agree with me that the family networking and everything is awesome uh, and so much better than it was back in the Vietnam era when we did not take care of families or even the soldiers and Marines and uh, sailors like we should have. So as you were just talking about, it must have been hard for you, you guys, when you're deployed away from your families um, and just being in a completely new place what are some things you guys would do on the base to kind of just get away from that and just kind of distract yourselves and kind of enjoy yourselves a little bit while you're over there well uh you know i i think uh first of all it's just sitting around and and sharing different stories and things about things you did at home and everything and because it like my first deployment there wasn't really much internet access or anything like that so i think uh when you don't have all that, you that sometimes can be almost distraction. So we had to entertain each other in order to uh, to keep going, and because you didn't have the internet access like they did later on. So I think just uh, talking to each other, uh, maybe playing uh, card games and that sort of thing. I never really did that myself, but I know there's some that did. But uh, I think that was more in. I will say on the second point, we actually did was able to to start a uh, softball uh, team because you know you do your missions, but inside the in the fob they call it the forward operating base, it is secure because you have uh, a, like uh, first point we actually had the Marine Corps because we supported the Marine Corps. Uh, they actually had, they made sure that we were secure within the base to do things so when you're outside the wires they call it that's when you're really in harm's way so uh i think just sticking together and uh and you know things 
talking about things back home, I mean, uh, as you probably can guess, uh, baseball is very near and dear to my heart. And I've always said that, you know, hearing um, once in a while you would get through the Armed Forces Network, you would get uh, baseball games, but they may be two or three days late, but it didn't matter just to see them play. And, and that was really a touch of home for me. And, uh, you know, I've told this to many people to know that back home here, everything was just, was remaining the same. And people going to watch a baseball game is really what it's all about. Because in, uh, indirectly, we were allowing that, uh, doing what we were doing. So people back home could live normal lives, go to baseball games, and could uh, have the freedom that sometimes people don't take for granted. But uh, it really op- opened your eyes why, why we were there. It's just the little things like that that kept me going to know that that um, things back home were, were normal. And that's about what everybody feels like is they want uh, home to be home, not, you know, no, we, no one wanted to be have anybody feel sorry for us. They, they just wanted to know that they was appreciated and that uh, things remain, uh, remain normal back home. So you've mentioned baseball a couple of times, uh, and you have the obvious military background. Uh, do you want to get into more of how you got started with the foundation? Uh, yes. Well, actually, I became really close friends with Bob Feller. Uh, I'd actually, while I was in the military, I I was at a card show, a baseball card show. That he was there, and we got talking about the military, and that really formed a, because he was so patriotic, it really formed a, a uh, a la- uh, lasting special relationship uh, and then when I was in Bosnia when I came home he invited my wife and I out to Cleveland for as his guest for a uh, ball game and he took us back in uh, in a certain area and talked with us and before we left is kind of a unique story but he uh, gave my wife his his phone number and he said uh, you make sure you keep in touch I don't give my phone number out to everybody but I wanted to make sure you fellas keep in touch so when I was in Iraq he used to call home uh, to make to see how my wife was doing see how I was doing and I actually which I have saved of course I have personal letters that he actually wrote why why I was in Iraq uh, see, uh, wondering how what I was doing what I was how things were going and I, I treasure those, uh, those, uh, those letters that he actually wrote to me. And then when I got home, I actually went down to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, and we met him there, him and his wife, Anne, who we still are very close to and we keep in contact with. We, we was able to, to uh, go out to dinner with them, and we saw a lot of the other Hall of Famers too, which was being a baseball fan, and of course my kids were pretty excited about all that. So it it really, uh, and then from then on we we kept in contact, and that's really when I found out that Peter Fertig was doing the uh, uh, starting the foundation, and through Ann, uh, Bob's widow, kind of encouraged me to get in contact with him, and that's how I became uh, a member of the foundation. That is an awesome story. What do you think Bob Feller would think of the foundation uh, were, were he still around today? 
he he would be very honored uh, to think his legacy is gone because you know you know as you've probably read and a lot of people have read that you know his when you talk about the military, I mean his baseball career was was uh, very important, but his military really career was more important to him than his his fantastic baseball career. I mean he he loved this country and he loved. Uh, he loved the Navy and he loved anybody that served. And that's really how we uh, were connected. And to think his, his legacy is, is uh, continuing in what we're doing, he'd be absolutely uh, uh, thrilled uh, about what, what we're doing. And that's really what keeps me going. I know sometimes, as you fellas know, it's not easy work, but, you know, to keep his memory alive and what we're doing is uh, certainly all worth it. So you've mentioned service to your country, sacrifice, and dedication. One word we use a lot within the foundation is valor. So what what does valor mean to you? You know, I always go back to valor, meaning I always go back to our seven army values, which I think is a good description of it, uh, and it sums it up pretty well, is uh, loyalty, duty, honor, respect, selfless service, integrity, personal courage, that's what I'll means with valor and those that uh, it does take a special person to serve our, our country. Uh, some some go towards the battle and some will go the other way. And that's really anybody that um, signs the dotted line to enlist is uh, putting their own uh, selfless desires uh, and the, to serve the country uh, ahead of their own because it's not easy being in the military, but it's got to be something you're passionate to. In order to succeed, you need to be passionate about it. And uh, valor means all those seven army val- values that we we adhere to while serving. Steve, thank you for sharing your time with us on the American Valor Podcast. Thank you for your continuing mentorship and support through the podcast and our several other educational initiatives including our military children's essay contest and outreach to major league teams thank you thank you for your time uh, for our listeners we thank you for listening to learn more about the active valor foundation and the 37 hall of famers who served in world war ii please visit our website at www.activevaloraward.org